Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Totally Stoked. I'm so happy that you guys are here. This is your girl, Amelia Travis. And joining me today is one of my favorite people. This woman is a conscious musician. She's a singer, songwriter, and social justice advocate whose powerful voice almost matches the power of her being. As a musical artist, lead singer, and bass player of pop reggae band Say Real, wellness coach and lifestyle influencer, this woman empowers people to change the world by changing themselves. Her commitment to emotional health and spiritual development is a signature of her work, and her powerful mindset hacks help to create the environment through which exceptional transformation can occur. She teaches people to practice compassionate curiosity with themselves and others, educating, healing, and inspiring through her music and teachings. This woman is one to watch. She's also one of the musical guests for Women Awake coming in April of 2020 and someone who I deeply admire. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Miss Naya Kete. Mm, that was so fun. <laughs> Hi, welcome, my love. So good to have you here. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm super excited for our conversation today because it's um, we're going to be discussing a topic that I think probably every human being listening can relate to, and especially every woman. Um, and that is the sentiment or the idea that we're not enough. Mm. So you actually brought this topic and you were like, hey, Amelia, I have something we have to talk about. <laughs> I did. So tell me what's behind that. What, why did you feel moved recently to uh, get on a platform and have this conversation about not being enough? Well, partly because it is one of the hardest things that I personally have been confronted with in my life and, and have been having the experience more and more vividly recently as I continue to, to develop as an artist, as a coach, as an influencer, putting myself out there in the world. I feel simultaneously more and more successful, stronger and stronger, capable of helping, serving, and inspiring masses, a mass audience of people. And as that continues to happen, the little voice in my head 
that says no, that says you're not worth it, it will not be enough, you won't be enough, there won't be enough time, you won't have enough money, there won't be enough resources, not enough likes on Facebook, not enough followers on Instagram, right? They, they, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as I continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reason I reached out to you particularly is because it's such a vulnerable experience and there's a way to be with the experience in a way that's healing by allowing it and by talking about it with real intention and authenticity, but also not giving it so much power that we over-dramatize the experience and stay in it. And I felt like you are such that to me from what I've seen of you, from what I know of you, from what I've heard from you and your guests listening to your podcast, the way that you make space for the depth of emotion and the celebration of just the full expansion of who we are as human beings is so beautiful. There was nobody else I wanted to have the conversation with. Well, I'm honored. <laughs> uh, I really am honored. And I think that, yeah, I, I, I literally have coached hundreds of women. I've worked, trained, you know, thousands of people when it comes to yoga teacher trainings and paddleboard yoga. And in every every experience of coaching or counseling or even just sitting in circle or ceremony with people um this is 98 percent of people's uh biggest self-declared challenge and the other two percent probably just didn't want to say the same thing as everybody else <laughs> So I'm thinking of just recently, I was sitting in circle with 50 people at a Kundalini yoga training and um, this incredible musician, her name is Nuranjan Kar. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she's incredible, incredible musician, came and was giving a workshop on prayer and she was uh, playing music, but she was also teaching teaching, I thought she was going to be teaching about prayer, but what it ended up being was all 50 people sitting in a circle and praying, right? We passed the mic and everybody prayed. Mm. And it was really cool. Everybody had different uh, relationship with that, which is greater than themselves that they were praying to or connecting with. But what I noticed as I was dropped into what we call shunya, which is a state of deep listening, I was dropped into a meditative state and I was holding the space for each person's prayer as the mic made its way around to me i was probably person i don't know 30 30 out of 50 so i had a while to just listen and receive and mm. what i noticed is that every single person's prayer in that space of being willing to be vulnerable and and be uh you know seen in their prayer was just please let me rise to the life that i'm called to live please let me walk the path that is set before me. Please give me what I need to be able to do this. And that's a very beautiful prayer, but it is not acknowledging thank you that I am enough. Thank you that I have enough. Thank you 
that I have everything I need within me. Um, and for some, it was, please let me realize that I have everything that I need within me. For a lot of people, we were saying that. But ultimately, everybody was in essentially agreement that we think we are not enough. Mm -hmm. So what I want to ask you is, before we talk about why that's being magnified as you grow and expand, let's talk about where does it come from? Why do you think we all think we're not enough? There's a few explanations that come to mind for me. Um, the first is around karma really is the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, I look at my mother and I look at what she's been through and who she was and who she became and who she is becoming. And I really do feel like I chose her just as much as she chose me and that there was an experience for her around not enough that played out, that has played out in her life and still continues to play out in her life that I adopted through feeling so close to her, um, wanting to be her at times, and then also being afraid to become her at times. So a lot, so I guess karma and our relationship to our mothers and how that karma plays out, our relationship to our, to our feminine lineage. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that comes up for me is, you know, just this idea of not yet knowing how to live in the modern age, how to manage our minds in the modern age, that we have to evolve beyond a, uh, you know, something that's kind of embedded in our DNA, you know, realizing that like uncertainty and fear and not knowing what's happening does not mean that there's something wrong or that we're going to die or that there's a lion chasing us, that we can make room for uncertainty as a way of growth and expansion. And yet we just, we just don't know how to do that yet. Um, so that's another thing that comes to mind, just literally what we've been, what our brains have been programmed to do, which is what got us here, right? We got here. Our ancestors were the anxious ones. Our ancestors were the ones who would hear a noise and immediately act, you know, fight or flight, you know, just and to, so as to save themselves, to save their communities, right? Um, but not yet knowing how to evolve beyond that is another thing. And then, you know, I look to environmental conditioning, whether that's, you know, what's happening in our families, what's happening in our communities, what's happening in social media, in any kind of media, in the online space, on the TV, all of that. There are all of these reflections about what beauty is, what success is, um, you know, what a good person is. And it doesn't always look like me. It doesn't always look like you. And that is 
hard to wrap your head around, you know, that there's that when you see success or you see beauty or you see um, friendship or love looking a certain way and it doesn't look that way in your life or it doesn't look that way on your face or on your body or in the clothes that you wear or the food that you eat, like is then is that so does that mean that I'm not that right? And it feeds in the, into that belief. So those are the three things that come to mind as an expl, as, as explanations. <laughs> yeah. Whew. Okay. So we've got a lot to work with there. So I'm, I think I want to talk about them actually in reverse because I think they're most easily understood in reverse. So I think like most people can get down with environmental conditioning as being why they think they're not enough, right? Because we can easily see and understand that regardless of what our knowledge is about um, our ancestry or our dynamic with our parents or wh what was going on with them when we were in utero or in our early years in imprinting. Environmental conditioning, we can all look at and we can go, yes, the media, sh at least, you know, what, let's just talk about Western culture has a, a beauty standard uh, for women that is always changing, right? We can look at what the beauty standards are through the decades and they're, they're different over a different time. But like currently, like, you know, you need to be fit. You need to have a flat stomach, but a big booty. You need to have, you know, for, I don't know, a while there, it was like a thigh gap. And then later it was like other things you couldn't have like hip dips. I didn't even know what those were. I had to Google that shit. I was like, I don't know what that is. Right. But whatever, white teeth, um, big eyes, uh, big hair or flat hair or whatever, like it's always changing. And so, um, we are, we are also always changing, but then if we're choosing to participate in that beauty standard, then we're constantly seeking after changing or modifying ourselves to fit in with a standard rather than adjusting our perception to see ourselves with eyes of appreciation or find the things that are beautiful within ourselves and all of advertising, especially for, it's for both. I'm not even going to say it's for women because it's for men and women is this part of you is broken. This part of you is flaws. You need to be skinnier. You need to be curvier. You need to be stronger. You need a bigger penis. You need a bigger boobs. You need whatever. Like all of these things are not okay. Right. We even have like genital reconstruction surgery to make your labia look a certain way. That's like, wow, that wasn't even a thing until porn became a big thing. Cause then everybody decided that labia were supposed to look a certain way. Right. So it's just like a rabbit hole of like craziness, but we're all being programmed by it because our subconscious is um, is receiving all of the messages, right? From every movie, from every TV show, from every uh, thing we're consuming. And that's just talking about media. Um, what has been your relationship with media and beauty standards for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, it's interesting. Um, I am really lucky, really blessed that I grew up in a community that celebrated diversity in all forms. And I mentioned my mother before, and my mother is somebody who just always gave me so much support and so much love and told me I was beautiful and all of that. And so I had these really strong 
body positive representations in the media around me because of her. You know, what she exposed me to was really about embracing your curves, embracing, in my case, you know, nappy hair and dreadlocks, embracing my mixed heritage, all of that. And so I had these, I was telling myself that, oh, okay, even though there's this standard of beauty, there's also a really great body positivity movement going on and celebration of body of multiple different body types and beauty in all ages and success in all forms and all of that, right? So I would tell myself a lot that these curves were beautiful. I would tell myself a lot that my nappy hair was beautiful. But as I got older and I started to be on my own more, and I started to get really real with myself about what I was actually feeling, I realized that as much as I could tell myself these things, I wasn't believing them. So I wasn't actually having the, the belief is the experience to me of truly feeling beautiful in your body. What's the physical sensation? of feeling beautiful? What's the physical sensation of feeling worthy, right? And I didn't, I wasn't believing it. And still to this day, there are layers of not believing. I get through a certain layer of belief around, let's say my strength, I feel really strong these days, right? But then there's another layer that comes up about, you know, my curves or body fat versus muscle or, you know, things like that. These, all of these different little things that come up for me. And so when I realized I didn't believe those things, I went, whoa, there's something going on. And then on top of that, I was, I had moved away from my family on the East Coast and was starting a career in Los Angeles pursuing music. And I was getting more and more unhealthy. I was feeling overworked, overtired, overstressed. And so even though I grew up with these reflections of body positivity and embrace your curves, I was trying to tell myself that, not believing that, and then also feeling like shit, honestly, you know, just unable to get through the day, let alone get through interviews and get through performances and try and get to the gym or do whatever kind of movement felt good to me. And so how did I hold space for all of that truth, right? Because it is true that every single one of us is worthy, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of sexuality, regardless of the number on the scale. And it's also true that because of where I was at physically in my body, that I didn't feel healthy. And as a result, I didn't feel abundant. I didn't have energy, right? So I'm get, I'm, now I'm getting away from the question, but it was, it was learning. It's, it's been learning to work with all of that, that I've really been able to continue to evolve and to continue to grow and and to continue to develop my relationship with myself, which I believe is the most important relationship in your life. Well, it is. I mean, we're, 
I used to say we're born alone and we die alone and then became a mother. And I was like, no, we're not born alone. Like your mom was definitely there with you for that part. Um, but we still do die alone. I mean, even if the other people are in the room, you're, you're going through that tunnel of light or, you know, whatever you believe just disappearing into nothingness by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, uh, so, so environmental conditioning is definitely part of it. And we're all experiencing that in so many different ways. It's a barrage and an onslaught of information. Even if we don't watch TV, there's, you know, billboards and there's just social reinforcement of like what you're going to pick up at school, or even if you don't go to school and you're homeschooled, um, there's the imprinting of whatever social dynamic you are involved with, right? And so that brings us to like what you said about family. And I'll share, you know, my own not enough story of growing up. And first, let me say like, mom, if you're listening, I love you. You're an amazing mother. Thank you for everything that you've done for me. And as we were growing up, my mom was struggling with her own perception of self as it related to her weight. She, um, she, you know, had always been overweight, struggled with her weight. And that was something that in her family, kind of everybody identified with. She had five siblings. They all struggled with their weight. My grandmother struggled with her weight. And she was running a narrative that um, when I'm fat, I'm not lovable, right? Or I'm not worthy of love. And so that was something that really affected her relationship, I think, with my dad, who regardless of what he felt about it, just eventually got tired of that story, right? Like we, it, it's hard to tell somebody over and over, no, I do love you just as you are, whatever. Um, and so even though my mom was a, a, a psychologist, really believed in positive psychology and gave me all of the positive reinforcement and gave me all of the said all of the right things about loving yourself even when you're chubby. And I was chubby. I grew up using food as um, a coping uh, tool. Like for me, food was the first addiction because it made me I feel, you know, better eating little Debbie snacks um, <laughs> or sausages or like whatever it was. Um, so even though she said all the right things, I would see her self-hatred when we would go shopping. I would see her struggling with the size tag on the clothes. I would see her dealing with unwanted emotions and dealing by coping by, you know, overeating ice cream or whatever late at night. So these, uh, uh, this disparity between what she was saying and what she was doing, and then which one am I actually internalizing? And I'm internalizing the one that's reinforced by everything around me, right? Because everything around me in society says, yeah, you do need to be thin to be lovable. Yes, it is important that you have blonder hair and bigger boobs and whatever the beauty standard is. And so I remember as a child, and I do mean child, I mean like seven or eight, I would wish on a star every single night that I would be thin and pretty so that people would love me. Mm. That was literally what I wished on a star every night for like eight years, like a long, like a long time, you guys. Um, and I can kind of laugh about it now because what else are you going to do, I guess? But like I have, I've done, I mean, my entire life, I feel like has been dedicated to this work of stripping away who am I besides the exterior, right? Um, and that's what led me to yoga. And that's what led me to, you know, okay, if I'm not the body, then am I the mind? Well, if I, no, I'm not the mind either. So if I'm not the mind, then am I the soul? Well, what is that? Right. And going deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, so I think 
before we jump to like the other aspects of why we think we're not enough, what are we supposed to do about environmental conditioning? Like, should we all stop, uh, I mean, for the love of God, like social media, television, movies, even music lyrics, like it feels like we can't get away from it. So, and if we both have positive programming around us or like people speaking life into us and we still have this struggle, is there any hope? What are we going to, what can we do? Yeah. So you know me and you know that I use movement as a way of connecting with the divine. And lately I've been exploring movement even through stillness. So it's about being still, whether that's a meditation for you, whether that's just taking a few moments before you get out of bed, whether that's taking a few moments when you're sitting at your desk on your computer, being still, but then paying attention to the movement that's still happening in your body on your behalf is something that's been really powerful for me. So I stop, I stop moving. My, con- my consciousness says, okay, stop moving. And then I stop. And then I'm able to tune into the physicality of my blood pumping, my heart beating, my breath, my digestive system, right? All of this working on my behalf without me having to consciously do anything, right? It's all just happening for me. And like, wow, if this is all happening for me, I must, that, I must be worth something, right? And then the other idea that's been pretty powerful Similarly to what I was sharing earlier about, you know, when we were in the caves and, you know, this modern world as we know it didn't exist and our, you know, the the stress response, the fight or flight response, um, the fear of uncertainty, all of these things that feel really difficult to deal with in this day and age, that really served us then, that kept us alive then. And so if all of these difficult responses or emotions, part of them are put in place so that I may stay alive, then my life must be a life worth saving, right? And those two ideas have been really powerful to tune back into (laughs) every time I look at social media and there's that voice that says, oh, you're not as pretty as her. Or there's that voice that says, man, you've done so much work to be fit, but you still don't look as good as she does. Or man, you've done so much work as a coach and you've done so much work as an artist, but you're still not selling out the stages or you still don't have the, the, you know, as many clients as you want, right? Like all of that. Every time I do, I play those stories in my head and I come back either to stillness and tuning into physically what's happening for me, or I come back to the difficult emotions, but how those are put in place really to, to, to save my life. That's been, that's been pretty powerful for me. Yeah. So I agree with you. And what I'm hearing you say is like, the answer is definitely not in the external environment. Like we're not going to solve the not enough problem by looking outward. It's not going to be about, uh, it, we might help manage some of the expression of it by what we're consuming or how much 
you know, we're allowing our subconscious to be influenced by these messages of outside media or other people or whatever, but really we're talking about an internal problem. And I think this is really something that I'm excited about talking about lately with all the work I've been doing in Kundalini yoga and breath work, because everything is actually an internal problem, my friends. Yes. There's nothing that exists outside of your mind, right? I just got chills all over my body as I said that. Literally, your mind is the final frontier, is the only frontier. And it's actually also the playing field of God. Like it is, it is, it's how we experience and understand the sacred and the profane, but it's also like perception, sense perception, consciousness is ultimately like it's all there is, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're hearing that and you're like, I'm not there yet. Okay, that's fine. Let's back, let's back it up a little bit. So let's, this will be a fun way to explore this. When we were in the caves, the cave people, or even just when we were like an agrarian society and, you know, maybe living more in community and having less, less external, like less people at least influencing us. Like we were living in a smaller community. Maybe we knew like 30 people or maybe 200 or maybe whatever. We lived in a small village in 3000. So like back and back and back generationally, do you think we were dealing with this feeling of not being enough? Um, like, do you think like, you know, let's say just, let's just say 2000 years ago. I mean, <laughs> just had a funny vision. Like, do you think the apostles were like, man, sucks that I'm not like Jesus. Like Jesus really kind of going on. <laughs> like I'm not enough. Like he's got all the healing powers. Who am I? I mean, I think they, maybe they did, but I mean, people have always felt the sense of comparison and not enough. I, I honestly do. I honestly do. I, I, at first, I want to say no. I want to say that when we didn't have nearly as much distraction as we do now, distracting us from our own minds that we were all feeling pretty good, but, but that's bullshit, right? Cause I'm thinking bullshit. like, yes, yeah, bullshit. Something <laughs> like back in the cave, you know, that like Erg was like, man, Derg like caught a bigger elk than I did. He's, he's the one that speared the mammoth and like, I'm such a shithead, you know, poor Erg, like Erg, you're a great basket weaver, man. Like, you have skills too, right? <laughs> I don't know. It sounded like a good cave person name. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's a, a, it's a story as old as time and we just play it out in different ways now. That's all. We just play it. Tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So before I get into my beauty and the beast sing along. Um, okay. So then so then that leads me back to like, if it is, you know, we're saying it's in our biochemistry, our programming, and it has to do with like not knowing how to manage our minds in the modern age and being, having the sensory overloaded too much stimulus. But, but it sounds like if we go deeper than that, it has to do with the foundational aspect of experiencing, I'm putting this in quotes, experiencing reality, which is simply the experience of being human and being in separation from or perceived separation from the divine that we have this inherent longing to belong in us right we have this inherent awareness 
or belief that we're separate from something, which makes us think that there's something to fill that gap. Yeah. Does that feel right? It does. And what also comes up for me in what you're saying is just how much our language is really affecting and feeding this conditioning. And what I, another thing that I like to do to help heal the not enough in me and the not enough in us is to come back to a place of neutrality and stop attaching so much meaning onto everything. So when I was first teaching myself how to feel beautiful, I would say, I feel beautiful today. And then I would say, no, you don't. And then I would say, you know, something like, well, you know, my ass is too big or whatever. Right. But then I would just be like, well, but I have an ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> and but, all those poor assless people out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have an ass. That's a beautiful thing. It exists. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this butt to sit on and keep me comfortable. You know what I mean? But like legit, like going back, like how can we keep things as neutral as possible without having this meaning attached to it? Because it is, it's in our own minds that we come up with reasons to feed the not enough. And so before going, and so before trying to convince yourself of a belief that you have not primed yourself or programmed yourself yet to believe, I say like, take it, you know, take it back and just, and just, can we, can we find the, uh, the most believable truth of the moment? I'm a human being. I'm a woman. I have hair on my head and be grateful for those things versus I'm an, you know, an overweight woman, or I'm, you know, I have too nappy hair or, I have not blonde enough hair or whatever these things are, these, this, this meaning that we put on it, you know, and just come back and just come back to neutral, come back to zero, you know, that, that's helped me a lot too. Yeah. When I think about body positivity or self, self love to me, there's this, it, like, it's just like what you're saying, there's a spectrum, right? And if we're like deep in the deep bowels of self-hatred and self-loathing and we're, trying to get to self-love like well guess what like you're not gonna freaking teleport there maybe you are and like good for you if you figure that out let me know how you did it but most of us have to go one tiny little step at a time towards towards the direction that we want to go right so we have to head towards self-acceptance or neutrality first before we can maybe start to get to just self-appreciation and that's like where it's like exactly what you said well thank you but for letting me sit on you like man can you imagine if you just you know just had your skeleton like it would be i don't know drafty um it would be weird without a butt <laughs> yeah so I, I appreciate that and i think that moving a little bit up the scale towards self-acceptance on our way to self-love is definitely uh, something we can do. And I, I do want to speak a little bit to what you said about ancestry and karma, because for anybody where this is like an unfamiliar or like, what does that have to do with anything? What does that even mean? Um, 
So one of the interesting things, if you, if you go out and you learn a little bit about genetics, right? We all have uh, DNA and our DNA is related to the people who gave us life. Your mom and your dad had DNA. They did the boom, boom. They made you. Now you have DNA and yours is different from theirs, but the gene expression is a combination of their gene expression, which is a combination of their parents' gene expression and back and back and back. So there's a little science lesson for you. So here's what's really fascinating. And I just learned this from this, uh, one of the world's leading epigeneticists who came and spoke um, at our Kundalini training. She was talking about ancestral trauma and gene expression. And what she was sharing is that her family was from India and they were for many, many, many generations uh, in the untouchables caste. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a social hierarchy in India, which separates a certain group of people from all the other people and says, these people are not actually humans. They're like animals. Mm -hmm. And so her family had been in that caste for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of years. And her father was a first generation immigrant to Wales. So she was second generation living in Wales, Sikh Indian family. And um, so she had been removed from the environment, which said that she was not a human, but an animal. And yet it was, it, it was, it was programmed into the genetic expression of her ancestors for however many thousands of years. So when you think about like, well, what would that do to somebody to be conditioned over generation, over generation, over generation, that it is dangerous for you to think of yourself as a human with equal rights to other people, the manifestation of that or the expression of that is going to be worthiness issues, confidence issues, difficulty using your voice. Because, and I'm speaking now from a scientific perspective, in our gene expression, we have something called myelation, which is basically like all of your genes are on a dimmer switch, right? You got one to a hundred. You can have a gene fully expressed or you can have it myelated, which is like suppressed. So say there's a gene that governs, um, essentially like regulates your hormonal response or your, your um, adrenaline response when you speak, right? And if you had had thousands of years of it not being safe for you to speak, because when people spoke, they were killed, your gene expression would, would adjust itself so that you learned to be quiet, right? Like not even learned so that you were born knowing to be quiet because you knew that it'd be dangerous for you to speak. So long story short, this woman, world-class um, epigeneticist and was brought to the United States on an extraordinary alien visa, an Einstein visa. And when she got to the United States, she got these big fancy jobs doing science and she was expected to present her findings in a boardroom. When she got to the boardroom to stand in front of these important, you know, people, she couldn't speak. And it happened enough times that they said, if you can't start presenting your findings, you can't come into the boardroom. And so she's like, I got to heal this, right? But it wasn't hers to heal. It wasn't something that had happened in her lifetime. It was something that had happened in every ancestor before her, but it was still very real and present in her life. And so what she basically, long story short, what she discovered is that Kundalini yoga was the tool that helped her because it required voice activation and our voice. And this is not just me pulling this out of my ass. This has been scientifically proven. Our voice is the most powerful healing tool that we have for ourselves 
from within ourselves, right? So like singing to yourself, speaking over yourself, like what you say and how you use your voice is what can really heal you. So to me, that story was really important because it illustrates how our ancestry, you know, or or a family like or our karma can actually affect our gene expression and then it's and this isn't just something that we're saying that's like you know um made up it, it really is like you might have a deep fear of um standing up for yourself because of something that happened generations back you might have a problem you might have a challenge with your weight because there was food scarcity in your grandmother's generation and in utero, your mother received the genetic imprint that there's not enough food. So let's have our insulin react this way. Let's have a store fat this way. And then that carried down to you. So sometimes we're, we're carrying a story that we're not enough. Um, that is compounded by our culture, but that was formulated somewhere that we can't even imagine. I love science. I really so cool. So deep. I love it when the woo is affirmed. (laughs) It's like when it's like this stuff that I intuit to be true, that I recognize is true because I feel it. And then when science can back it up, I get so freaking stoked. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I definitely, that resonates so deeply. And that was, I feel like you know, kind of the idea that what I was formulating earlier that you just really articulated so beautifully and with so much clarity. This is why I knew I had to have this conversation with you. Um, You know, I definitely see this having played out in my own life personally. I'm feeling called to share something that I shared with you a little bit before this episode. And I've I'm realizing in this very moment, I've never actually shared it publicly. So it's a deep moment for me. And I just want to thank you and your listeners for giving me a platform where I feel safe enough to say it out loud, not just to myself and not just to, you know, a person in my life that I felt comfortable saying it to. But I want to talk about when I lost my virginity and how I didn't know that it was happening, that I really did feel like it was happening to me and that I didn't say no, but I also didn't say yes. And I just felt so silenced in that moment. And I was sharing this, I've, I, I've shared this over the years, I've revisited it over the years in my relationship. I've been with my man for 11 years. And so he knows very intimately this experience. But he said something recently that just floored me because I shared with him, you know, because I didn't speak up and because I do I actually do feel like there was a violation that I allowed and because of that I felt like my voice was was silenced in that moment and that it hasn't spoken up since 
And this is true even in our relationship, even in the intimacy that we experience together with a man who I feel totally safe and totally comfortable with and totally taken care of by, I still feel silenced sometimes. And he said to me, he said, is that, was that the moment that you were silenced or had you been silenced your whole life? And that was just the moment that you recognized it. And that to me just, I, it broke my heart and cracked me open. It was the moment that the realities of the karma that I'd been born with, what my mom had experienced in her life, with this, which is her story to tell and not mine, but what her mother, what my mother had experienced, what her mother had experienced, her mother before that, mm -hmm. that was the moment where I realized, oh my gosh, I was born with this. Mm -hmm. It was passed down to me. <sighs> so two things on that. One, I absolutely agree. And I recently experienced that truth uh, during when I was in Joshua Tree and I was having this healing experience, I felt the silencing not just as myself, but as a woman in a time very far back from now, in a very different place from now. And it, it felt like it was in, I, I was clear on where I thought I was. I thought I was in Jordan or what's now Jordan. And it was, I was. Uh, at least hundreds of years ago, if not thousands of years ago. But I felt the being silenced. Um, and it wasn't clear whether it was because of sexual violence, but it was clear that it was because of my uh, sexual identity. It was because I was a woman in that situation. But then it expanded beyond that. And I felt all of the silencing and all of the oppression and all of the being trapped through the generations. And I, I, what I understood was that I was experiencing it in the collective, right? Because there's actually nothing, we're not actually separate from each other. So I was experiencing what we're all experiencing. Um, and it was, it was, it was massive. And what came out of that was this huge, deep experience of grief where I felt this wailing that rose up from within me and I was just sobbing. And, you know, I've shared a little bit about that on a previous episode, but why I think it's important is that if, if you're hearing this and it feels true for you and you're like, yeah, I do struggle with feeling silenced and, and feeling trapped. And I'm not sure why, because I can't really put my finger on when it happened. Like we want to give you permission to, to, to consider that it, it could be that it's always been like that we're, that we've, we've all been silenced and we've been born into silence and it's our prerogative and and privilege in this life to unsilence ourselves mm -hmm. and we have the gift of experiences that make us aware 
of the silencing so that we can choose to use our voice going forward, right? And you, you, I mean, so this is so interesting to me because you use your voice. Your voice is your greatest tool. I mean, you are on the voice. <laughs> like she's, your voice is, is, is um, your gift. It's your service to the world. You use it through your poetry, through your lyrics, uh, through your melody. Like you use it for your own healing and for the healing of other people. So when, you know, when you try to answer the question that Lee asked you, of whether you were silenced in that experience or whether you had always been silenced and that brought your awareness to it, does one feel more true than the other? Yes. And funny enough, they both feel true. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I want to say that the latter is true in that yeah, what feels more resonant is that it was always there and it's, and, and it's been an experience that has always been throughout lifetimes. Mm -hmm. But it's also true that every day is an opportunity to be born again, right? And so also in that moment, a new, a new part of me was born, a part of me that didn't want to speak up you know it's both I really do I <laughs> I'm just thank you for asking me that because I just realized that now that for me what is resonant is that it's both true you know and and thank God that we have that contrast you know one idea that I've been working with a lot lately is that the first step to having free will the first step to having a choice is realizing that you don't is bringing awareness to all the ways that we've just been operating on autopilot, you know, or out of addiction-based behavior or out of environmental conditioning, like we've been talking about, you know, how much of that is embedded in us and bringing our awareness to that and then being like, okay, that's one aspect of human being. I know what that looks like. I want to choose something different now you know, but you have to bring your awareness to it first. And it comes at different times and it, and it continues to develop, you know, continues to develop. So one of the other things that you were sharing with me is that this has become this idea about not being enough and also about um, self silencing has become more prevalent for you as you've been working more with young women. So you do these music camps with young women and women's empowerment work with, I, I'm saying young women, but girls, I mean, girls, like what ages are you working with in these camps? Um, nine to 17. Okay. So preteen and teenage girls. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you were sharing with me was that this summer when you were there, as you were having conversations with these young ladies that like, 30% of them, or this was a rough, you know, estimate that you gave, were sharing that they were medicated in some way, whether that was anti-anxiety medication or antidepressants or uh, Adderall or, or whatever. Um, multiple <laughs> different things. These girls are taking multiple things. It was crazy to me. 
you and I are around the same age. I'm, I'm 34. I think you're a little younger. You're turning 30 this year. Um, mm -hmm. And growing up, when we were teenagers, it was, I mean, I was medicated as a teenager for a little while. I was dealing with, you know, my dad cheated on my mom and left and my mom was really depressed and I became depressed and was acting out and they sent me to a psychiatrist and they prescribed me Paxil, which is an antidepressant and then later Prozac and then, yeah, later di different things. But um, I feel like if we had polled, you know, my junior high school or high school, I don't think it would have been that high of a percentage. Um, and what I'm more curious about than just speculating is like in your actual conversations with some of these girls, why did they think that they were being medicated? And what does that have to do with this concept of being silenced and believing we're not enough? I mean, for most of the girls, it was just, it's a fix. It's, it's, it's their parents trying to take care of them, right? Not knowing what to do, not knowing how to hold space for emotion. You know, their grades are dropping. Everything feels overwhelming. Being a teenager is hard enough as it is. And then when you combine that with trauma, whether that's sexual trauma, exposure to violent trauma or being abused or whatever that looks like in your life, whoo, the layers become really, really deep. And so for a lot of them, it's the only thing they know how to do. It's the only tool that they've been given is a medication, or if this one doesn't work, then adjust it. Or if this one doesn't work, then adjust it and continue to adjust it, right? Until you find the one that supposedly works for you, but more, but it's not actually working. It's a lot, a lot of times it's just numbing things so that you can get through the day. When they were sharing with you what the main problems were that they were medicated for, was it mainly like anxiety and depression? Yes. And ADD was coming up a lot too. So <clears throat> not being able to focus, right. And not, and, and getting, being, having a lot of, uh, guilt around not being able to focus and I mean edu the education system and the environment for education is like a whole other story that we could go down but for me you know being told that you know I mean okay I, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too deep on it but you know sitting in a classroom under fluorescent lights being spoken at by one person for multiple, multiple hours every single day, coming home, your parents getting home late from a long day of work, you know, maybe you have dinner together as a family, maybe you don't, you go to bed late, you get up early, you do it all over again. I would have a hard time focusing too. Yeah, that's not how we learn. Like, this is what pisses me off about it. And I will, I will go because especially as the mother of a three-year-old, like I, it, thankfully, you know, he's in a preschool that is not, I mean, they're outside half of the day. And I don't think we will be sending our son to normal school or maybe to school at all um, because I have such a big problem with it. Because mm -hmm. I believe that, first of all, there's different learning styles. Some people are visual, some people are auditory, some people are kinesthetic, but all people learn through play, through sensory awareness. And really we need to be in nature at least like half of the time. Nature is our greatest teacher. Um, mm -hmm. 
and from a simple like balancing our circadian rhythms like if we don't have the balance of being outside in the day and the night actually like we're all whacked out so yeah fluorescent lights are a problem yeah sitting in a desk is a problem yeah not moving your body is a problem and then to put on top of that what kids are eating like we and, and not just kids i mean when i was growing up look i was eating like whatever hot pockets you know what i mean like there's like i said little debbies there's garbage there too and tons of processed stuff but you combine um, exposure to digital devices from an extremely young age, kids are watching cell phones and iPads and like, I'm gonna throw myself under the bus here too. Yeah, like my kid loves, he loves TV. Like it scares me to where I wanna get the TV out of our house because I'm like, I'm afraid this is shortening your attention span, increasing your impulsivity, like reducing your ability to, to, um, to, be, to be patient and to, problem solve and to do all of these things that are part of like our learning curve. And now we're seeing the generations of kids that have grown up with that stuff and 30% of them are medicated for anxiety and depression and they can't focus and they have racing thoughts and they can't sleep and they're disconnected relationally from their parents and they don't know how to have deep conversations or sit face to face. Like, no shit, we did that to them. Like we're doing that. And we're all doing it because we're all scared and we're afraid about the health of our planet. We don't know what to do. And we don't know how to take action. So we're all just kind of like fumbling along in this together and hoping somebody else is going to fix it. Yeah. I know. I know. And you know, what's interesting. You'd mentioned, you know, the sound of your own voice being the most healing sound for yourself that comes from within the self. And oh my gosh, as a songwriter, I can speak to that you know, from experience that every time I would pick up my guitar, I just wanted to cry. I wanted to write a song that made me cry so that I could heal whatever it was that needed healing in that moment. Right. And whether I was conscious of it or not. And so when I sat down with these girls and I actually, I do, because I was so moved and so inspired by them, I do artist development coaching for young women now who, who are um, in their teens because I'm so passionate about raising these girls into women that are able to embrace what it is to be human, which means experiencing the full spectrum of human emotion. And so my theme for this, for the camps that I taught this summer was confidence. And so the first thing that I did when they walked into the room was I said, what does confident mean to you? You want to feel confident when you go on stage, right? So what does confidence mean to you? And, you know, they said all of these beautiful things. It means I feel beautiful. It means I feel talented. I feel strong. I'm not nervous, blah, 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 right? All of that great stuff. And then I said, okay, what are you singing about? What are you writing about? And for most of them, it was about heartbreak. It was about depression. It was about fear. It was about pressure. For some, it was about suicidal thoughts. I mean, deep shit, you know? And so I was like, well, if this is what you're writing about, isn't that what you want to feel when you go on stage? You can embody, you, you give yourself permission to embody that per, that that emotion through your performance. So what if confidence was not just about being beautiful? What if confidence was not just about feeling talented and strong and together and courageous? What if confidence 
was giving yourself permission to feel anything. And in giving yourself permission to feel anything, you give those experiencing your song that same permission, that same invitation to embrace. And not when what I would always say to them is, you know, you, you're going to feel bad. Life is 50-50. You're, you're happy sometimes and you're feeling bad sometimes. If you're feeling bad about feeling bad, you're only compounding the effect. So why not just feel bad and remember that life works in cycles and at some point you're going to be able to get out of it, but just, but like give yourself that full experience, embody it, understand the difference between a feeling and the emotion. And when you can figure out what the physicality of the emotion is, what is the physical sensation? What is the feeling in your body? Then it becomes just a sensation. I can experience this emotion because it just feels like butterflies in my stomach. And that's not a big deal. Or I can experience this emotion because just it gives me a headache. I know what a headache feels like. That's no big deal, right? But you can't come to understand that until you give yourself permission to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Something you just said is really, really important. And it is what if confidence is just giving yourself permission to feel what you feel. And I think if we take that one step further to be witnessed Mm. in it, because as we are increasingly digitally connected and we're all putting our best face out there to the world, we are are not training ourselves as as intentionally or as effectively to be witnessed in those emotional experiences that we think of as less pleasant or less favorable, right? And I'll speak for myself that I love to be a leader. I love to lead women in trainings and retreats. I love to be on the stage and speaking and have a microphone. And I'm very, very comfortable and very confident as a leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are. But I'm very uncomfortable being held. Mm -hmm. Very uncomfortable being seen when I'm not okay. And it's very hard for me to receive. And the healing that I'm doing now is allowing myself to be witnessed when I'm not okay. Mm. And trusting that I am as worthy of love, as worthy of, of attention, as worthy of being seen and heard and known when I'm not okay, when I'm sad, when I'm angry, when I'm scared. And that's hard. Mm. And I think that as we, you know, circle this conversation around of like, you know, what do we, how do we embrace our enoughness that part of it is the practicing of allowing ourselves to be witnessed. And it is a practice. Like we have to find community, dialogue, other human beings to be our mirror because we cannot heal in isolation. 
-hmm. And we cannot cultivate our awareness of our enoughness only in isolation. Like, yes, it will happen in the meditation, but if you don't take what's happening in the meditation and bring it into the world to allow yourself to be to be seen and acknowledged by other human beings in, in, in all of it, in your light and your shadow, you know, in your beauty and your ugly. Um, it's, it's not going to integrate, right? Like we, when we integrate, that's when we bring, that's when we become more whole. So for us to become more whole or become more aware of our inherent wholeness, we have to allow ourselves to, to be seen. So Naya, I want to ask you because you are an expert at allowing yourself to be seen. You're an expert at practicing being confident in feeling what you feel and then in bringing that and sharing it with community in creating dialogue by putting this into your lyrics. So for those who are like, you guys, this is all great. I still fucking hate myself. I need you to like bring this down into like two or three things that I can actually do right now without money, without resources, without feeling like I already have the community. What can I do to move just a little bit up that scale towards self-acceptance, towards believing I'm enough? Mm. Well, there are things that we already talked about, right? Stillness and understanding or just bringing your awareness to what's happening on your behalf. I think it's something that's been really powerful for me. But what I'll say that feels like really practical and I love practicality I love being able to hear something and then go and do it and experience the transformation, even if it's subtle, like immediately. <laughs> I come back to thought work because it, is, it does all happen in the mind. Thoughts are spiritual, are spiritual activity, right? Thoughts are spiritual activity. And so meditation for me lately has been a lot less about pushing away the thought as much as it's been about redirecting the thought, engaging my thought in such a way so that it serves my growth and evolution as a human being. So practicing compassionate curiosity, getting out a notebook and a pen, sitting for a few moments and asking yourself something really, really simple. Like, what is a thought that I'm thinking right now? And just writing it down and seeing what happens. Why am I choosing to think that thought? Right? Um, what is an experience that I'm having right now that's feeling really hard? And why might that be coming up for me? Right? Asking yourself thoughtful questions from a place of compassionate curiosity, you'll discover things about yourself you didn't know were, they, were there. And it'll be really beautiful because sometimes what you'll find is that emotions that you thought were really detrimental 
have actually been some of the most powerful for transformation. Like frustration was an emotion for me that for the longest time I was like, I hate being frustrated. And then through thought work, I discovered, oh my gosh, frustration makes me do things, makes me get up and clean the house, makes me go to the gym, makes me (laughs) make phone calls to book shows, right? Or whatever the thing may be, like frustration is powerful. So you'll discover things about yourself that you didn't know were there and, and how to use even negative emotion in a way, how to utilize your struggle, how to utilize discomfort, how to utilize dissonance, you know, thought work is powerful. And I love getting out a pen, getting out a notebook or a piece of paper. You can be ceremonial about it, or it can just be a scrap, you know, like however it is that you need to do it, just do it. Get objective. That's the thing that I like about putting pen to page. I know I might be biased because I'm a songwriter, (laughs) but Being able to see what's going on in your own mind, being able to look at it and see it is so super powerful. And just stay compassionate and stay curious if you can. Keep asking questions of yourself. And don't be afraid to contradict yourself because a lot of times, like I said before, you know, when you asked me about you know, what my partner had said about losing my virginity and if the silence had always been there or not, um, how it was both true. Don't be afraid to contradict yourself. I think it's also really important too, because I think that is one of our greatest strengths is being able to see both sides of the coin, light and dark, day and night. Contrast is everywhere, right? And it's in the contrast, in the contrast that the growth happens. So So I want to thank you for this deep and thoughtful exploration of why, um, why we believe we're not enough. And I hope that for everybody listening, that at the very least, this conversation has reminded you that you're not alone and that it doesn't matter where you are in your, um, life and your status uh, with your numbers and your relationships and your family and all of these external measures that we use to either uh, affirm or deny that it's okay for us to feel like we're not enough. You're human, right? We're all in this human experience. And I think we all do feel like we're falling short of our uh, divine glory. And that is just because we have forgotten that we're that we are divine and that we're not separate so you know today i hope that you feel um some solidarity and knowing that at least myself and naya are with you in on a daily basis feeling like maybe we're not enough Um, And we're just continually putting one foot in front of the other, using the tools that we've gathered so far and learning new tools from others and then passing those on and sharing them um, to just try to remember, you know, just trying to remember that we are enough. And, And even like that word, you know, as we've gone through this whole hour of talking about it, I'm just like, what the fuck is enough anyway? Like, what is that measure? Who the fuck knows? 
Nobody knows. <laughs> Maybe so, you'll when you feel it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Naya, thank you so much for taking the time. If you haven't fallen in love with Naya yet, you can, I know you have now today, so you can go and connect with her on Instagram at Naya Kete, and that's linked in the show notes. You can also check in with her music at Say Real Music. And um, is there somewhere they, is that the best place for them to connect with you on the web? Yes, that's definitely the best place to connect one-on-one. And I also will just share that we have a GoFundMe campaign going on right now because we want to bring these conversations combined with the experience of music into communities. So not just, so we're going on tour and we're part of the funds are being used that are being used are, are used to raise a tour vehicle so that we can up grade our touring lifestyle, but also because we want to bring our music and the messages, some of the messages that I shared, and then even beyond that about women's equality and social justice into people's homes, into schools. And we want to keep those performances free for the communities that need them most. So this is a strength in numbers kind of a campaign if you believe in what it is that we shared about and also believe about music, what I believe, which is that no matter who you are, what you believe in, what your age, what your race, what your sexual orientation, or how hard you've been conditioned to believe something, the right song can open your heart and change your mind. So it's allowing music to put us in this state of transcendence and openness and connectedness, and then having these conversations with people face to face. So yes, we're also, you know, we'll still be doing clubs and, and things like that, but really the majority of the venues will be actually in people's homes and in schools. So if you want to have us at your home or at your school or your children's school, or you want to just support the work that we do, that we're doing, go check out that GoFundMe campaign. And we've linked that in the show notes below. Naya, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out today and to share your gifts with our listeners and to um, share this thought-provoking conversation that is definitely leaving me feeling uplifted and feeling like at least for today, I am enough. Yes, me too. Thank you. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.